I was going to say, let there be light, but I would have probably been off there. Would have proved I didn't have the power or anything, which I don't. They control it all, so that's the way it goes. Um, it's good to see you, everybody. Doing well? Hope you're praying against that hurricane. Dorian, we've got to get him out of here. We don't, we don't like Dorian, so on he goes. So let's keep praying for that. Let's just set it right out to the ocean. Amen? All right. Well, look, we're starting small groups this week. And so this is kind of our, not our last chance, but it's our focus last chance for you to sign up for a group. And there's a couple of different ways for you to be able to do that. Number one, we're going to bring up here just a little walkthrough on you can take your phone and your app and where to find that. Then we also got old school signups over there. We got clipboards for you. So as you know, the menus, if you haven't had a chance to look at our small group lineup, we have the menus, as we call them, at the forward booth and at the tables. And if you go to the app, you line up and sign up for the app and get that on your phone, you'll see all the groups there listed in detail there as well. So they really can help you uh, uh, discover what group uh, you can, uh, can join. So anyway, in the menu, we'd have many different very creative groups, and I'm really excited about this lineup. Really, really good. We've got groups for uh, just you know, uh, general family groups so we can get together and, and, and just fellowship, hang out, worship together, study the book of the Bible, or just pray for one another. We've got groups like that. And we also have one that I'm going to call attention to. It's called the Truth Project. Now, this is information that's been out there for a while, but the small group is going to do that. They're going to walk through the material, fantastic material. So you can sign up for that and... Um, that's on Wednesday nights at 6.30. Then there's Let's Cook with Miss D. I heard that one's a fantastic one. Everybody loves that. Learn how to cook. And, and uh, Miss D is, is, is very famous around here for some of the stuff she does that, uh, her and, and Miss Doris, for providing meals for us. And so Miss D is going to be helping us with that. You can join that. There's Financial Peace, learning how to get your finances in order. Uh, we got a veterans group. we got a ca- cancer patients and survivors group. Fantastic. Very, very practical support right there. Men's Bible study. We've got groups for the ladies, ladies' meetings that are taking place, gifts of the Holy Spirit. We're going to be studying that. Victorious emotions. That one looks very, very intriguing. Awesome. We've got youth ministry. We've got 20s, 30s. Perhaps you haven't heard about that group. Meets uh, uh, on Friday nights. And uh, here's one that's kind of neat. It's a family group. It's called Foraging 101. And when I first looked at it, I thought, surely they mean spiritual. But no, you're going to learn how to forage. Go out there and find stuff so when the stuff hits a fan, you can survive off of pine needles and stuff like that. So uh, I always wanted to know that, so here it is. Uh, anyway, real cool. There's the walk, uh, 100-mile challenge walk, uh, uh, get, get fit and your spirit and your body group, and uh, family uh, life, art of parenting. So be going through some material there. Fantastic. Outreach groups. So if you're kind of wanting to go into a season where you're just doing some practical outreach, we've got a soup kitchen on Saturday mornings. Takes place right here every Saturday. We've got um, the uh, random acts of kindness that we do or acts of random random kindness that we do on a regular basis. This is a small group that that, uh, does creative things in our community to reach folks for Christ. Here's a new one. It's called Drive-Through Prayer. You know, I always wanted to do this one, but I think this is so cool. You can be a part of joining a team that will set up a sign out there and just say, hey, need prayer? Pull in. We'll pray for you. Isn't that cool? Creative? Great idea. So they're going to be doing that. And, uh, and again, we've got uh, recovery groups. Monday night is Celebrate Recovery. It takes place right here. Trying to recover from some life-controlling issue. 
uh, very biblical, very powerful, and a lot of support takes place on Monday nights. And then uh, several other things, including divorce care, which is uh, a material that we've had in a group we have offered in the past, going to do it again. So if that's been your experience, there is support. There is Christian support to help you be able to move on in your life and to experience God's favor and blessing. So we're offering a lot of different small groups for you, and you can sign up again today. Uh, did you ever put that up there for the little walkthrough? But anyway, I don't know if it did. But uh, anyway, if you go to the app, oh, there, there they go. They're going to click on it. So what you'll see, now that's going to run in the background, so you can check that out. But I want to give you a quick encouragement regarding small groups. You know, I would typically take a whole sermon and talk about small groups, just the importance, because it is a real value for us here at Valley. When you become a member here at Valley, you know, Pastor Jamie's going to teach you, and, and uh, Elder Bruce, they're going to walk you through some of those truths, so you know the value. When you go to our cafe, you see the big signs on the wall that we're a small group church. We don't just, just, just write those things down. We really, really believe that. That's why we don't have a midweek service. That's why we put a lot of effort into making the, the cultural uh, experience here, the worship as a, as, a, uh, as a congregation important, but also putting... Pr- priority on you meeting from house to house as they did in the early church. We feel that's so important because we believe that Christian change, discipleship, real life change takes place in the context of, of, of relationships. That's what God made us to be. And in the church, it's the way it's supposed to be. And so we use a lot of the different uh, uh, creative, different methods and teachings and kinds of groups to just really get you together and, and, and to pray for one another, to stand with one another, learn together. And so that is so crucial to your Christian walk. You know, I had a buddy who uh, is a runner, and I, did, I didn't have a buddy. He's, he's still alive. But anyway, he's a, he's, a, he's a good friend of mine. And anyway, he's a runner. And uh, he does marathons. And anyway, he qualified for the Boston, which, as you guys know, that's, that's no small feat. You, you've got to qualify in a certified uh, race. And so anyway, he got into Boston, which was really neat. And uh, so he, he trained for it. And uh, so, of course, thousands of runners from all over the world. And uh, so he starts running. And he gets into the race, and he's looking at his watch, and he's thinking, man, I am absolutely tearing this up. I am on pace for not only beating my personal record, he's thinking, I might end up in like the top 10% of finishers in this race, and he's killing it. So he gets down to the end, and he realizes you got to go back the way you came, and he was running downhill the whole way. And he was like, oh, crud. No wonder I was running as fast as I was running. No wonder I had such a tremendous time. He ended up finishing much worse than his personal best and not anywhere close to the top 10% because he did not balance it out. He did not, he didn't understand the course. He didn't look at what? The whole picture. And God bless him, he's continued to run. And I don't know if he's running the Boston again since that time, but he certainly learned something, didn't he? And you know what? That's the way life is too. Sometimes we are just very reactive. In other words, we just live life, you know, according to the chaos that we see from day to day or just the challenge that we might have tomorrow. But you know what? The Bible teaches us to live in such a way as not only do we foresee the evil and take a different way, but we live with proactive life. In other words, we're gathering up truth. We're storing up the barns of wisdom and biblical truth by reading it every day, by fellowshipping with one another, by building, filling up our barns with that which we could use one day in our life. So that's, pre, uh, that's, that's proactive living. That's, that's thinking ahead, and that's biblical. So when we talk about small groups, it's not just reactive. Oh, well, this is a group I need for right now. 
No, no. They're, 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 in your walk, you should be looking at the future. You may not have a financial crisis now, so why wait? Go through Dave Ramsey now to learn how to plan for the future. Maybe there are other things in your life, you know? And so I want to encourage you with that because Christian discipleship, again, is about more than just reactive living. It's, it's maintenance. It's taking care of your soul. It's, it's, it's adding truth upon truth and building, 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 because in that sense, you are now prepared for whatever comes your way. We, we sang about that, right? That in the fire and the flames and the flood, you know, when we draw near to him and other believers, you know, one of the things I see, you know, not often, but from time to time, is a believer who just feels isolated and cut off, and they don't know that anybody understands or cares what they're going through, and it's often because they did not surround themselves with other believers. They didn't connect, and so that's important. That's why small groups for us is critical, not only for just, again, that what I believe is more of a holistic discipleship growth path, but also to just prepare for the future. So I really want to encourage you, exhort you with that today, sign up, jump on the app, go to those tables back there, sign up for a group, get on board, because I guarantee you it's going to help. You've heard, you've heard Bruce's testimony about how it just really transformed his life, and, it's, and I've heard that so many times in, in, in my own as well. So give it a shot. Check it out. All right. So we're in this series called 10 Talks. We've been going through the Ten Commandments. And so today we're going to take another step and we're learning. Now, what we're hoping, folks, is to teach you that because when you, and to, well, actually to see that God is giving us a life path. He's, he, he's given us a GPS coordinates of how to live our life to, the, to experience fruitfulness to experience joy. Because when we think of the Ten Commandments, I know you're, you're just like me when you think of them. It's, we think maybe it's the ultimate God buzzkill. You know? God just gives us a list of don'ts, and it's just like, oh, man, you know, God, just, you're just getting in my stuff. And, and we see that in the world. Most people, when they look at the Ten Commandments, and they just say, yeah, just a bunch of don'ts. It's Judeo-Christian ethics that are just getting in our stuff and telling us what to do. And I want no, no part of the grandfather in the sky just telling me what to do. The truth is, it is God's love message. When we understand what it is that God is, it try, is trying to do, what he did, and what he continues to do with these Ten Commandments, then we get it. Then when we kind of wake up to the reality, oh, this is a pathway. These are coordinates that if we follow them, that they lead us to the best life we could possibly have, to avoid the dangers, avoid the pitfalls, and fall right into the arms of our loving Savior, who can give us the very best life. So we've been talking about the Ten Commandments. We're actually up to the Sixth Commandment, which we'll cover today. But as we have been doing all along, we're going to go through that, all of them just to read the whole Ten Commandments as, as was given to Moses there in Exodus chapter 20. So let's do it again. Let's read through them. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I am the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity or the sin of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commands. So God points out here that the impact of sin. 
He said, now, the impact of ignoring what I'm sharing with you not only is going to affect your life, but it actually will affect your family line to the third and fourth generation. And this is, can be proven true in the study in sociology and anthropology and studying uh, 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 the DNA and what we see go on. It's, a very, it's an amazing, uh, curious minist- uh, 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 information, bit of information that is proven out in science. Okay, verse 7. You should not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. We covered that last week. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. So we're going to deal today with the sixth commandment. And and, and, And what it said was, you shall not murder. And we'll explain that here in just a second. And I know you might be tempted to just breathe a sigh of relief this morning and say, man, I'm off the hook. I've never murdered anybody. And I'm not contemplating any murder, anybody murdering anybody right now. So anyway, you're good. You're cleared. Well, not so fast. We're going to go deeper. Because as in all the Ten Commandments, we see that they were but a kernel of a greater truth that God was going to reveal over time. And of course, Jesus brings to full fruition, which we'll cover today. So again, what we're talking about is the idea of murder and why it is such a bad idea. And the scripture does lead us to that end. And so, you know, you would think that any culture would believe that murder is a bad idea, but you know what? It doesn't. I mean, have you noticed that? I mean, all you have to do is look in the headlines and you'll see, I mean, that every day in here in America, it just seems like about every other week we have mass shootings. We have, we have you know, things that are taking place like that. You read in the news, you find out that different religious groups or things that are going on in China and, and, and the, the Mideast or in, in Central Africa or South Africa, you find that life is being taken uh, in massive amounts every single day. Murder is taking place every single day, perhaps even dozens even as I'm speaking right now. Multiple people being shot in some of our largest cities here in the United States. And so we look at that and say, have we evolved? Have we come to this? We've got all this wonderful technology. We've got all this wondrous, wonderful stuff we've learned from history. Libraries full of history books of, of all that man has done and accomplished and achieved and evolved. And yet, still, murder takes place all the time. Taking lives. So why is that such a bad idea? Well, we're going, to look, we're going to look at that. So God commands us to stay away from murder for two basic reasons. Number one, it's because humans are precious. And number two, because hatred is poison, which is really the root of what murder is. So let's go, and when we look at uh, that humans are precious, let's look at that first. When we look at Scripture... Very early in the Bible, we find that this really important idea is coming forth, and that is that humankind, that we are made in the image of God himself. That's why it's really important. And this is what it says in Genesis chapter 1, 26 and 27. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. 
So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So much there. Matter of fact, in the whole first three chapters of the book of Genesis, there is so much. When they talk about Genesis, we know we're talking about the beginning of the earth. But in those three chapters, it is a Genesis of many, many, many things regarding how man has developed, what is going on in our culture, so on and so forth. So, but these verses, they tell us that God made humanity in his image. That much is clear. But theologians and Bible scholars generally agree that man made in the image of God means at least two things. One, that we are made to resemble God, resemble God. And two, we are made to represent God. So to resemble him and to represent him. Now, first, looking at resembling God, we resemble God and that we can make moral choices. We can make moral choices and can experience a deep relationship with others and in and, 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 and surreal spiritual ways. So much so that man, we're overwhelmed by it. We write almost all our songs about these relational things, don't we? we, we our, our culture is dominated by the wonderment that is friendship, human connection, and self-awareness. Sure, you've, been, you've laid in your bed sometimes and you're sitting there and going, Wow, I'm, I'm thinking. And the universe, why did I just think the thought I'm, I'm thinking right now? And, and what am I going to think next? Oh, there it is. You get into this little, this interesting kind of wheel inside your head, and, and you, 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 you almost feel like it's like you want to ask so many questions. And, you know, if you study philosophy and uh, in college or, or, you know, just read books on philosophy, you'll find that man, for, for all intents and purposes, in, from my observation, has driven himself insane trying to answer that question. Because when you take God out of the mix, there are no answers. There are no answers. Matter of fact, in the end, the philosopher, like Nietzsche, comes to the end, well, God is dead. There is no God. I'm God. And so it gets this, this spinning out of control thing that just, and, and, and the reason why that is so is because God has made us to think that way. God has made us to think and understand that we are immortal beings. That even though we die in this body, we are existent forever. That there is a uniqueness to who we are and we resemble God in that way. We're his kids. It makes complete sense. But it only makes sense in context when we're connected to our creator. When we're connected to him, then we understand who we are. It's like a person walking around who maybe was adopted and never met their family, didn't understand their traits. But when they finally meet who their real natural parent is or something to that nature, that they begin to say, oh, now I know I, I, you know, I'm, I look the way I look. Well, my nose the way it is and why I run the way I do and, you know, all that. And the same way when we connect to the Father because we resemble him, because we've been made in his image, so much will then make sense. Absolutely. The more we cut him out, the more confusion reigns. The more we embrace God, the more, the more sense of self-awareness and purpose will come forward. So we resemble him in that way. And then we also represent God. And so representing God is in the authority context. So God said, look, I want you to, to, to rule and reign on the earth. I'm not just going to make you, you know, like so many people say, we're just like a human animal. We're just running around and we got these base things. We're just like the animals. Absolutely not true. It's ridiculous. 
You're not an animal. You are a mammal in the sense of how we live and the similarities there, but no, 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 we have what no other creation has. And that is the ability to connect to our creator because we're like him. And you know what? We can create. And that's not saying that no other animal can can be creative, but what man can accomplish is amazing because God has put that seed in us. I have so much more to say on that 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 I'll move on just because I love creativity, as you might know. But he's given us dominion over the earth, and that is how we represent him. God said, look, I'm giving you this earth. I've created this for you. I've put animals on it, creatures and all that, and now I want you to rule on my behalf. There is the key. When man rules without God, what do we do? We try to rule one another, and we beat up on one another. And then what do we ultimately do? We murder one another. And I'll, tell, I'll get to that here in just a minute as to why that's all connected. But when we are functioning the way God created us to function, again, we resemble him, but we also represent him in our ability to have authority. And now it's interesting. Jesus came and said, look, you've got a whole lot more authority than you even know you have. And so he taught us about prayer. He taught us about words. He, taught, he said, you can say to that mountain, be picked up and thrown into the sea. He said, you can say to that fig, fig, fig tree. And he kept on trying to tell them, you guys have so fallen away. Paradise, paradise is so lost that you have forgotten who you really are and who you are to represent and to resemble. So we mentioned that. Why? Because human life is absolutely precious to God. We are precious to him. And why? That's the first answer to the question. We're precious because we're like him. Now, as a father, if you mess with my kid, oh, man, you're going to get all of me on you. I'm daddy. I'm a daddy bear. And, and that offends me when you, take, you attack my children. How much more God when we attack his children, when we fight, when we even are taking an innocent life? We like to think of murder of just being God saying, hey, don't do it. No, it's because God is deeply offended when we take one of his children's lives. When we disdain what is the ultimate wonderful creation of God, us. So important to God. So let's be clear here on the sixth commandment, Exodus 20, verse 13, is referring to taking innocent life. Now, I think a lot of Christians get this wrong because they think it's just thou shalt not kill, not kill anything. No, no, God clearly told us there are some things, including animals, that we are to kill. He said, I provided this for food for you. You can read it. So it's not killing, it's murder. That is not only the, 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 the Hebrew word, ratzach, but also it's context and how it's used. It's always used in taking innocent life. So we're not talking about warfare, and we're not talking about self-defense. I think we can prove that biblically. What we're talking about is taking an innocent life. So when we talk about things like abortion, euthanasia, suicide, racism, and all forms of prejudice, it absolutely breaks God's heart because they, all of these things necessarily devalue how precious people are to God. They really do. We just think they're just actions. But no, not when we see human life the way God created it to be and, and, and what it is, how we exist. God's desire for us here is that we should treat human life as precious so that we will avoid the poison in our hearts and the lives that such devaluation will cause. See, to get to murder, there's a whole lot of stuff that has to happen. To get to a murderous heart, 
We have to get, so, so God is just saying, don't do it. Later, he'll tell us why. Later, he will show us what gets us to that end. So how is this relevant to me when I'm thinking of how God created it to be? How does this play out in my life? Well, first of all, it's responsible living. In other words, you know, if you look in Exodus 21, it says this, verse 28, 29. When an ox gores a man, now here's an, a lesson for us. When an ox gores a man or a woman to death, you know, with his horns, the ox, the ox shall be stoned and its flesh shall not be eaten. But the owner of the ox shall not be liable. But if the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past and its owner has been warned but has not kept it in, in other words, to pen the, the, the wild ox up that he knows is potentially could hurt somebody. What he goes on to say is, even after a warning, and it kills a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned, and its owner also shall be put to death. Now you think, wow, that's hardcore. Yes, it's teaching them the value of life. But now we're taking another step. We're teaching the value of liability and responsible living. That's another understanding of how we can avoid even getting anywhere close to the concept of taking an innocent life, to value it. In other words, to live in such a way. You know, we've all heard the story of a person who gets drunk, jumps in their car, they start driving, and they take the life of another innocent person. We've all read the story of a young teenage girl just starting out college. We've heard the story of a young man who's got his future all ahead of him, or a grandfather who's, 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 who's living life, who's just retired only to have his life taken from an irresponsible individual. See, all of Western law, all, and, I, and I say Western law, all of Western law is based on these laws right here. The whole concept, the whole concept of liability comes from this, which is why you have insurance. It's why you will go to jail if you are liable for someone damaging or hurting themselves. It's based on this. So when we think about how this commandment comes to play in our life, we can't just our life, live our life like the Jews were when Jesus came and just say, well, at least I'm not doing that. We got to go a whole lot deeper because as Christians, if we love our neighbor, then will we do whatever we can to value their life, both in uh, how we treat them, but also how we would potentially treat them in responsible living. So that's important. That kind of closes in in a way that, that will help us to understand that why I, I think that in our culture right now, and I'm, I'm going to get on in my soapbox just a little bit here for a second if I got time, and that is to say in our culture right now, Right now, we are swallowing a very, very bad pill. And the pill historically has gone like this, that we've got a bunch of bad people on the earth that are thinking bad thoughts. And so if only a small group or a group of good people, quote unquote, rise up and kill all the bad people, well, then we'll only have good people and then we'll have a paradise, a heaven here on earth. Well, that has been tried over and over, and over, and over again. The problem is, we're all bad people. And we need a savior. The solution is not killing all bad people. A solution is telling them about Jesus. The solution is to show and embrace the concept that we all have a murderous heart. But for the grace of God, so go I. And this gets even deeper, folks, here in just a second. 
But here we, 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 we're biting into this concept all again. It's taking place in our culture right now where certain kinds of groups are rising up to say, well, look, the ends justify the means. That if I, if I hurt someone, well, it's always for an ultimate good. Well, can't you see that hate, and, that, and this is what it ultimately comes down to, is that I can take hate to try to destroy hate. That's kind of stupid, isn't it? Because then what do you come away with? With just more hate. That's all. And so we're biting this, we're swallowing this pill all over again, and I see Christians sometimes getting swept up to on it, and I see the Facebook posts, and I see what's going on, and I'm just telling you that this all goes back to the foundation of God saying, thou shalt not murder. And you're saying, wow, how are you making that big jump? Well, Jesus makes a jump, and I'll show you here in just a moment. Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and 26 Jesus brings it all together for us. You have heard that it was said to those of old in the Ten Commandments, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, in other words, you're worshiping at church, and there you remember your brother has something against you across the aisle, and he says, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. In other words, don't, take, don't do anything else spiritual until you get it right. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, because look, if you continue down the road of living what you think is a spiritual life to cover over the deep, the, the, the real truth of, of this resentment that you have, you're not going to change. You're not embracing truth at its deepest core level. He goes on. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So ignore what, he's, what Jesus is saying is, look, he's speaking to this crowd to say, look, it all begins in the heart. It begins in the heart. And as you, as you, you judge, you may not murder them, but in your heart, that's where murder starts. It's a poison that we drink and it begins to work away. Where does murder even, how do we even get to the murderous? Well, it's because there's a lot of hate, been a lot of resentment. There's been a lot of vengeance. There's been a lot of stored up, you know, animosity. Exactly. So Jesus is saying, look, I will show you how your life to really change. And he says, you talk about, you know, adultery. I say it's lust. You want to talk about something being stolen. I tell you, it's about the greed in your heart. Jesus, over and over and over again, exploded into a wonderful understanding the whole concept of the Ten Commandments with a sermon on the mount when he said, look, stop all this. It's inside you. It's what's going on in here, what's going on in here. It's what is like that ping pong ball bouncing around inside you. It's when you're driving your car and you want to throw the, the single-fingered salute. It's when you want to lean out the window and call out somebody's, you know, some uh, nasty uh, name to them. 
You know, it's, it's when you, you, the thought in your mind of cutting somebody off in traffic, it's, it's that thought of how I'm never, I'm never going to call them or write them or talk to them again. I'm going to cut them off. It is those kind of thoughts that we begin to generate and we let it into our heart that begin to fester. That is really the core of murder. So we think we're off the hook. Well, we're not. Because the truth is, we all have anger, don't we? Well, we do. We certainly do. There's not a one of us off the hook on this one. And that's what Jesus was saying. Jesus pressed them right up against the ropes and said, not a one of you are exempt. And he brought us to our knees so that we would then cry out and say, what am I going to do? And he goes, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to die for you. I'm going to take your punishment for your sin. I am going to give my life for your life because sin equals what? Death. We just read that. And so Jesus died for us so that we wouldn't have to. He took our punishment so that we wouldn't have to. There's the solution. It's in Christ. But we have to start with the honesty of 1 John chapter 1. If any man says in his heart that I have no sin, we fool ourselves. We block, we put a blockade at the door, and God says, no, and Jesus is there just saying, look, the whole lot of you are going to church. The whole lot of you are doing all the spiritual things. But if you're entertaining bitterness and resentment and vengefulness, mm-mm, you're not changing. Not really. And so we come to that place of understanding that bitterness and hate is a poison. And it's interesting that it's bitterness and this hate that we talk about is really the only, it's very much like us drinking the poison and expecting the other person to die. I'm going to hate you. Watch me. I'm feeling sick right now, but you're going to pay. Yeah. No. No, you hurt yourself. I hurt myself. When I walk in judgment, when I walk in animosity, when I hide that in my heart and I give them the cut look or, or, or just ignore them or doing all those kind of things, that is destroying you and destroying me. That's what it's doing. But there's a solution, you know, and Jesus presents it because Jesus said uh, later here in my notes, <laughs> in, well, actually, well, Jesus refers to it, but, but um, Paul is going to requote it in Romans chapter 13. He says, owe no man anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. There it is. He said, look, I've got an anti-commandment for you. Isn't that interesting? You think it's all about don't, don't, don't. He says, I got a do for you. One do. Well, actually two. That covers the whole Ten Commandments. The first do is just love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Top four covered. Because you won't use his name in vain. You won't worship anything else. The second six, our relationship one another, if we want to never take advantage, steal from, wound, hurt, rob, be jealous of another human being, then we just love them. And that's what Jesus is saying. Look, you can't stay flat-footed. You've got to love people. That is the anti-hate. And as we love him, now, you may just say, gosh, Pastor David, there are people in my life that I just, or I read about, or just the whole concept that just really, really bothers me and has gotten inside me. And maybe, and you may just say, Pastor David, you don't know the kind of hurt that I've experienced. You don't know the stuff that people have done to me. You don't know how they have spoken, slandered my name, dragged me into court. All the kind of crap that we know that can go on out there. 
No, I haven't walked that walk. I've walked some of it, but I haven't walked all of it. But I can honestly say, for every single human being that I've ever watched who said, you know what? I forgive. And I'm walking away from that. I've seen their life transformed, and I've seen them go on to a healed mind, better relationships, and a fruitful life. That's what I have seen. And Jesus knew that. And so he goes on and says, look, you, you need to even forgive those who spitefully abuse you. That's what he said. And he didn't just do that. I mean, he doesn't say those words. He actually did it, didn't he? There he's hanging on the cross. He's looking down to the people that he created <laughs> and looks at him and says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Did they know what they were doing? Kind of. But not ultimately, they didn't really know what they were doing. But Jesus chose to forgive them anyway. Folks, you want your life to change. Do you want to move forward? Do you want to sock the enemy right in the eye? Do you want to experience your best life yet? You know, a lot of books written about having your best life yet. But I think they ignore what I think is the most important truth, and that is to keep your life free of bitterness to keep your life free of resentment, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength by giving your life fully to him. And then, you know what? To look at people the way God does. It takes some doing, but the Holy Spirit can get you there. You'll be never tempted to murder them. You'll be never tempted, you know, to, to, to try to take their life, from, to embarrass them, to expose them, to do any of that. Because you see them as God's children. You see them, even lost people, redeemable. You know, here, to me, this is the biggest factor. The more you understand, appreciate, and walk in the grace of God for the sins that you have been forgiven of, and you know that full well, there's absolutely no way you can look at another human being and judge them. <laughs> you just can't. Because you're going to look at them and say, yeah, you're pretty bad, but I was bad too. You, what you're doing right now is not very kind, but play the tape. Right? Yep. But for the grace of God, so go I. So, folks, here's the deal. It says, if possible, as long as, 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 as it's within your power, live at peace with all men. Because I can't change other people's hearts. I can't keep them from judging me or doing what they do. But I can forgive them, and I can say, you know what? Nope, not going there. Not going to do that. I'm not going to throw in with your lot with what you're doing in the community. I'm not going to throw in with your lot with, with what you're doing in our nation. I'm not going to support that, get behind that, because that's hate. It's not good. Not going there. I'm going to be a lover of people and a lover of God, and that's it. And as a result, and here's your takeaway today, as a result, God is going to bless your socks off. God will bless you. How can you and I thrive with poison in our system? You can't. Well, how will we thrive when it's not there? Quite a bit. So many of the things that are in Scripture, so many of the good things that God wants us to experience are being hindered by some very simple choices that we can make, and we can make it today. Amen? Let's stand up this morning. Let me pray for you. Thanks for joining our live stream today. Make sure to like our Facebook page. And if you want more information about us, make sure to visit us at our website, valleychurch.us, or go and download our Valley Church app called Valley Church Weldon. 
If you feel led to give today, you can give on our website and on our app.